0: Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1 if we're going to go ahead and turn there. Uh, it is fantastic. Tim led us off with John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5 uh, last week. And I'm going to pick up in, chap- in uh, chapter 1, verse 6 right now. But before we get there, uh, a couple years ago, I was uh, hang- I was living in the parsonage right here. And uh, man, I'd always see different people coming through. And, and uh, the-, the Jehovah's Witnesses were very active in this block, walking around, knocking on doors, talking to people. And I always got mad because I, I always felt like this is my block. Stay off of it. <laughs> Stay away with your teaching. And uh we knocked on my door one day. I answered the door and you know, I didn't know who it was. And um, you know, the Mormons set themselves off with of what they're wearing, but the J Dubs don't. So they started talking and they, you know, it took me a minute and I realized who they were and they wanted to convince me of, of their particular beliefs, and in doing so, they quoted to me John chapter one, and, uh, verse one, and I'm like, All right, John chapter one, let's go because I'm studying Greek right now, and this is the verse we learned last week. Come on now. Like I got to start stretching, getting ready for this, because I was about to go a couple rounds. And so we're reading John 1, and, and you know, if we open up our Bible and read it, it says what's on the screen right here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But if you were to open up one of their Bibles, it reads differently. They read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They changed that up. They believe that Jesus was not God. They teach that he became like God later on, but he was nothing special in the beginning. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's not it right there. And they have to do some uh, jumping through hoops to make that work. Um, the same hoops, they don't always jump through, they interpret the same thing later on. Uh, but I was reading online, and one of the guys said about the Jehovah's Witness this. Those of the watchtower, which is the Jehovah's Witness, those of the watchtower persuasion do not believe that Jesus Christ possessed the nature of deity. According to their little book, Let God Be True, they consider him to be nothing more than a perfect man. They reject him. Tim shared last night, and the question he asked is, do you know who is being offered? And I'll tell you that story to say, you know what? The world does not really know who was being offered. A lot of people do not know who Jesus really was. Even religious people do not know who Jesus is. You have some that teach that Jesus was one way of many different ways to God. No. No. To quote, I think it was Josh McDowell who says, he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's not one of many. His claims were very, very Exclusive. So the question becomes, as church, do we know who was offered up? Do we really know who Jesus was that was being offered up? And if we know the answer to that question, as Tim gave that to us last week, and if we don't remember that or weren't here, go look that back up. And if you can't find it, Shannon or one of the guys will uh, help you find that that passage. So if we know who he is, the question then becomes, hey, are we ready to receive him? If we know who he is, are we ready to, To receive him and on that note we're going to go into John chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 and it reads like this there was a man sent from God who sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that the uh, that all might believe through him he was not the light but came to bear witness to the light the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world let's pray God, tonight as we gather and and we dive into your word, God, open up our hearts to receive the truth that you've put here for us. God, help us to see the story of John the Baptist and understand uh, how we too can be ready, how we can respond like John the Baptist, responding to you. Not just to be and, and emulate John the Baptist, but let us respond to you in the same way that he did. God, lead us in your ways. Amen. The story of John the Baptist is actually quite interesting. Uh, John the Baptist was born to, does anybody know? Who's his parents? Elizabeth and Zechariah. So Elizabeth and Zechariah have him, and uh, it is the story of an old couple who were too old to have babies, and God said, hey, I'm going to give you a baby. So how did they respond? They laughed. Uh, the way he says it is quite interesting. He's like, I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> I don't know if that's like the proper way to say my wife is old too. Maybe he was like trying to find the smart way. I don't think it would fly if any of you guys use that same thing to refer to your wife's wife's age. So let's stay away from that one. Uh, but you know, basically saying, God, all right, come on. You God, this is, this is impossible. You can't do this. Which is a foolish response, not only because he's talking to God, but because he's a Jew. And that promise had been done before. They had seen that if they would have simply remembered how God had worked in the past, what would they have remembered? Abraham, of course, they would have remembered Abraham. And that's the same story. God goes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a wife. And they reply the same way Oh, God, we're old. That's not happening. But we know it did, right? God goes to Abraham and says, not only will you have a son, but he's a special son. and I'm going to make you some promises. And they, they begin the Abrahamic covenant, the first covenant God made with people, the covenant to which a lot of people would say, this is where organized religion starts right here. That's what my teacher said in, uh, in a religion class, and I took it. PCC, this is where organized religion started. And in this promise, God makes him really three promises in this covenant. The first promise is that your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky. Look up. You see all those stars? You're going to have that many offspring. To the old guy who had none, that's probably sounded amazing. But also a little overwhelming and like, really? Like, that's going to happen? You also offer them the promised land, you know, a piece of land that we now refer to as the promised land. You're going to get that. Hmm. <laughs> I was looking it up online, and I typed it in, and was looking for something different. But I clicked on a, a BBC article, and they, they quoted these two ideas of the uh, of the promise, but they left out the third one, like it didn't exist. What's the third one? Through your offspring, the Messiah is coming. That's what it boils. They, they left that one out in the BBC article. I thought that was rather funny. You're going to pick one to leave out. From one of your descendants, the whole world will be blessed. And they were pointing to Jesus. The first covenant right here with Abraham. The promise that an offspring would come is now about to come into fruition with Jesus being born. And John the Baptist happens first. If the people of God would have remembered how God had worked, the story of Abraham would have been relived right here with the story of Zechariah. And so Zachariah gets put on mute. God hits the mute button on him. And he doesn't speak again after laughing at God until the baby comes. And as the baby's coming, they start to name him little Zachariah, right? And they would always name people a name that was in the family. And, and Zachariah's like, no, his name's going to be John, one of the first words that he speaks after being, being mute for so long. And they're like, wait, what? Nobody in your family's named that. God gave us this name, and he begins to testify and talk about how he was going to be something different. Dedicated to God. This time would have led the people of Israel to remember the God that had made so many promises. And even though they weren't faithful, he was always faithful. So we pick up right here in this story of John the Baptist, and we realize that God is moving, and God is moving in some mighty, mighty ways. John the Baptist's message is... Make way to the Lord. Get ready. Jesus is coming. The Holy One of God is coming, and he is coming to save us. And the question we're asking ourselves tonight is, are we ready? Are we ready to receive? Are we ready to receive him? Our first point says that the unbeliever is in no position to receive Jesus. The church has a lot of things backwards. One of them is we expect the world to behave like they know God. They expect the world to believe and understand and have a mindset where they can receive God's truth as if it's ultimate, but the believer is dead. My first sub-point number one is that... Unbelievers are dead in their sins. If you want to look that up later, it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The condition of the unbelievers is that they are blind to truth. They cannot see it. If you put on a billboard right in front of them, it will not make sense to them. Their heart is not ready to receive it. And you can come up with an argument that seems solid and foolproof and no one can argue against you. And they reject it flat out. I was at a church camp working and there was I was trying to lead this kid to the Lord. And he he came from a different religious background and um, and his dad still let him go to this church for some reason. And as I kept going, uh, what's up, Will? You bringing me a picture? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate this a lot. Can you go back and sit back with Nana now? Mama walks away. Will doesn't listen anymore. So this kid is hanging out at camp and we're talking, you know, we, we get into a little bit about what his background was. And I, and I basically lay the gospel out as clear as I possibly can. It's like, don't you see this? Don't you see this? Don't you see this? Now, are you ready to receive this? No. And I'm like, man, I made it so clear. It wasn't a heart. It wasn't a head condition where he couldn't understand it. He wasn't in a position to believe it. My sub-point number two is that unbelievers need quickening they need quickening to believe the word of God, to receive the Holy Spirit. They need something to change in them. In John chapter 6, they go on to talk about this a little more. And John 6, 63 reads this: It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the are, are spirit and life. If you're reading a different translation where it says, It is the spirit who gives life, that word is often translated. He quickens us. He enables us to believe without the Holy Spirit working in us, man cannot receive the Spirit. So the unbeliever is in no position to receive Jesus. Are we, are we ready to receive Jesus? And if you're an unbeliever, the answer is no, we're not ready to, believe, to accept Jesus. The church often has a wrong belief of the state of the man before Jesus. If you look at how we talk to people, we often view people as uh, a person that needs to get better, change a few outward actions then to get right with God, or to be okay and acceptable. But Scripture doesn't paint this picture of all. Scripture paints that we're completely dead. The picture of Isaiah in the valley of the bones is a picture of that. It's not that God is going to just shape us off and brush the dirt off. We're the, we're the bones dead. There's no flesh on us. We're not rotten and dying. We're just bones. And God calls us back to life. The state of the man without Jesus is completely dead. Secondly, the believer also needs help receiving Jesus. Man. Man, I know Jesus. I trust Jesus. I need help day by day, second by second. And if we ever come to a spot as a believer where we think we have it made and we're doing okay, you're lying to yourself. And I think that most of us would freely admit that, but sometimes we don't feel the ability to admit that because we're now something's messed up or wrong with us. The reality is that we're all messed up. We're all messed up. And even in all of my desires to do everything right, to do things the right way, to to please, God, and all that I do to be the guy that I need to be around my friends. And, man, I mess up. I think a lot of us know that about ourselves. We don't want to admit that to people around us because we don't want to be the one that's messing things up. But the reality is that's just the nature of man after coming to Christ. Until Jesus comes back, we're not going to be perfect. And in the church today, at least the church in America, in the context that I know it, uh, a lot of people choose, you know, pretension. They just want to... Yeah, I'm great. Everything's going good. Nothing's wrong with me. And we never let our guards down because we don't want to admit that to people. We don't want to let people understand that I'm struggling, man. I'm barely making it right now. I'm barely surviving right now. Yeah, everything's great. And we put this smile on our face. And we get even more worn out and exhausted because of not letting people in. And so we're already struggling and we add and we compound that struggle by not walking that out with the body who's there to encourage us and walk with us. And so we've chosen to, to put this face on that doesn't serve anybody, including ourselves. But if we look at the context here in John, um, you know, John's talking a lot to the, to the believers of the area. He's talking to the synagogues. He's talking to, to, the, to the Jewish people. And as he's talking to them, which what we realize is that they also miss Jesus. The religious crowd miss Jesus. They had a lot of expectations of what Jesus was going to be. And when he came in looking a little bit different, they completely missed that he was the Messiah. They had no clue. So even though they were, their hearts were geared to the word of God, they knew all the prophecies that were leading up to the birth of Jesus. They missed out on who he was. They missed out that he was the fulfillment of all those promises. So they needed help receiving Jesus. They had beliefs that, uh, you know, in the early days, they thought that, that Jesus was going to free them from Rome. We've got somebody that's going to free us from this rule, and we're going to have our very own kingdom. Now, a lot of believers' expectation is that God's going to give us prosperity. God's going to give us all the riches that we want, right? And we see the church selling for this belief. Their expectation of what God's going to do in their life is wrong. You know, but if we're honest, that, that line of belief is not typical in the churches that we are associated with. That's not one of those things that is mainstream in our church. But people who are like us, believe like us, a lot of them still believe that God's purpose and what he's going to do in our lives is to make us a better version of ourselves. He's going to, you know, brush dust off, dust off our shoulders. He's going to polish us up a little bit. And so we get to still live with our mindset. We get to still live serving ourselves. We won't be as bad of a person as we used to be. I now do nice things for other people on top of living for myself. And that's not God's expectation of us as a believer. A lot of people really believe that, you know, by walking with God, what it's going to do is make our life easier. Now that I'm walking with God, life's going to be, I'm not going to struggle as much and things are going to be harder and you am not know, going to have a people to walk with me and life's just going to be a lot better now that I'm walking with God. And even people believe that but they wouldn't say they believe that but we see it play out in what they expect and where they talk and how they complain. It shouldn't be like this for a believer. I've honored God and everything that I'm doing and these bad things still happen. And we see it play out in those kinds of ways. Man, but if you read the word of God, especially if you get into Hebrews 11 and see what the lives of believers look like. There's no promise in scripture of things being easy at all. So what we're left with as a believer is that there is a battle of the flesh and a battle of the spirit happening. And man, we're just in that struggle. That struggle is all throughout scripture. I won't get to take the time to go into all of that right now. You can go back and look it up. Man, we know that battle, don't we? We know that battle. Man, as a parent, I say it all the time in the way I parent and how I parent and what I do. Um, Man, the things that are hardest as a parent are the things that your kids do over and over and over again. Look, we had this conversation once. Why aren't you picking this up? You should know this by now that this is not the expectation in this household. right? It only makes sense. Yeah, they don't get it, do they? And so uh, as I discipline my children through those times over and over and over again, man, I have to rely on the Spirit to not respond to the flesh. I have to. Because, man, I just want, man, I'm going to duct tape you to the wall and leave you for three days. That's what's going to happen right now. That's, I'm this close to doing that right now. You hear me, Marcy? This close. I'm going to duct tape you up. Not really. It's not Marcy. It's never Marcy i duct tape up. Micah. You and Will, you got you better be scared. Of duck, duct tape, roll. So they do that same thing over and over and over again. And I'm like, man, God, I want to handle this the right way. And it's the worst when they're going to bed for me. I'm tired. They're tired. Everybody, the whining levels increase like crazy, and and they're doing that thing again that I've talked about nine thousand times. And I'm walking in and I'm mad. I'm gonna, God, give me the words right now. God, keep my lips shut when I should keep them shut. And I get ready to say something, and man, in the most godly way, I handled this problem. I'm calm as I can be. I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm doing amazing. And I'm like, God, thank you. This is beautiful. <laughs> and I just want to, like, rejoice that I'm responding to God in this moment. It's not, I'm just responding to God right now. And it's his words that are coming out, and it's amazing. And I walk away, and I look at Kelly, I'm like, Kelly, I did it. <laughs> I handled that problem the right way, and everything was great, and they listened, they got in bed, and 13 seconds later, they're doing the same thing again. (laughs) And I walked back there, and it was not the same picture. (laughs) But In a matter of 13 seconds, I went to praising God because I was able to respond in the spirit, and 13 seconds later, it was all Brett Carver coming out, and they were not happy, and I was not happy, and nobody was happy. We understand this battle of spirit and flesh and how we handle problems and how we make decisions and and what we believe and what we believe about ourselves, and what we should be doing. It plays out in so many ways. God, I believe you. Help my unbelief. God, I have faith. Give me more. I'm ready to receive Jesus this Christmas, but I'm not not fully ready because my flesh is still playing itself out. And I need more of Jesus. So are we ready as believers to receive Jesus? Not fully. And some of us in in different levels, I'm ready to receive him this Christmas. I'm ready because I've been thinking about it for a while and it's put my mind in the right spot. But if I were fully ready, I would look just like Jesus, wouldn't I? If I'm fully ready, I might get carried up like Elijah. If I'm fully ready... But we're not like Jesus, are we? Not fully. And he's transforming us. But this is not one of those put-down moments. This is one of those great moments where in in our shortcomings, we get to remember God's promises. That he is faithful to finish what he started in me. And so I don't have to, like, I'm not who I am supposed to be. I am, as Tim says these days, I am longing for the man that I'm going to become. As I long for that man, the way that I've been saying it, it's not as elegant as I'm tired of the man that I am. <laughs> I'm taking the negative side of it where Tim took the positive side of it. I'm tired of the man that I am. I'm tired of coming up short. I'm tired of, of, of messing up and responding in my flesh. With the positive spin on that, the, same thing, the very same thing is I, mean, I am longing for who Christ is making me to be. I'm longing for the work that God is doing to make me into the image of Jesus. That's a whole lot more comforting right there. <laughs> it's a whole lot more comforting for me at least. But the promise that we remember in Philippians 1.6 is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is faithful. When we are not, God is faithful. So what do we do from there? How do we lean into being ready? Part of it is we ready the world around us. Believers, like John the Baptist was doing his mission, what he was going to do is he was going to ready the world around him for Jesus. That's what we're called to do. John lays this out as this word, this life, this light. John Piper says it this way. This word and life and light are going to spread through the witness of human beings. God is using us to spread this light to the world. Does he need us? No. Does he choose us and let us and empower us? Oh, yes. He is giving us a mission that is amazing and beautiful. And he has called us to this mission. Matthew 28 gives us the Great Commission. He tells us this mission. Acts 1.8 says that we will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we will be his witnesses. But it keeps on going. Even we just finished up Philippians going through there in the uh, Thanksgiving season. And we we, we heard the, the truth that we should not grumble. But what was the context of that? We shouldn't grumble because we are children of light to the world. And if we grumble, we are not going to live as lights as we should. We give them a reason to not believe. Even the context of not grumbling is in the context of don't mess up who you are to the world. Live as somebody different. Don't walk around complaining about stuff. And this idea of light goes on in so many places. Matthew five sixteen tells us to let your light shine before men. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for you were, for, uh, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Acts 13 says that you are to light. We are light to the world. We are coming to bring salvation to the Gentiles. I really wish some of y'all would turn your phones off. It's me. I'm that one. Believers, we have this mission that we are to be the light to the people that are around us. And man, what a beautiful mission. It was exactly what John the Baptist did. And it made him seem crazy to the world that was around him, didn't it? They thought he was crazy. Maybe it was his diet walking around dressed weird, eating weird things. But we have this mission to spread it. We learn that people need to have the eyes of their hearts open to see the light of Christ and the gospel. Jesus said to Paul when he sent him to witness to the light, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. So what we have here are some things that are a little bit hard to balance. We can't give them the words that are going to magically open their eyes. We can't convince them. But somehow in the process of God using us to take his, world, take his word to the world, the Holy Spirit quickens that person and causes them to believe. God doesn't need us, but he uses us. And we can't make people believe, but we are called to be faithful in our witness, and God will use that to cause them to believe. But there's a lot of reasons that we as believers don't witness. We shut our mouths when it comes to the people around us because I don't want to offend them. What are they going to think of me? Will they, will they accept me after this point if I say something they don't like? I don't want to ruin that relationship. And if I go and preach to them and they don't receive it, then they, they, they'll reject me and it's over from there. So let's just kind of keep living. And I'm going to live my way and hope that they see it, but we're not intentional with the words that we give. There's a lot of reasons. Maybe we're scared. Will I, will I mess it up? It's not your gospel. You can't mess it up. Be faithful and preach it. I believe that to witness is the most loving, God-honoring thing that we can do. That's point number four, to be a witness, to tell the people around us about Jesus is absolutely the most loving to everyone. In response to God's love for what he has done for you to share that, in love for the person that you are sharing the truth with, to witness to somebody is the most lovely, loving, God-honoring thing that we can do. You want to honor God, tell people about him. You want to live out the work that God has done in your life, go tell people about it. Number one, it's simply just obeying the calling God's given to us. We covered that in our mission. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, You are children of the light and children of the day. Who you are, your identity now is in God. And it is a part of your calling to spread that out. So let's witness and obey our calling. If we really believe the things that we say we believe, if we really believe them, how can we not share them? How can we not share that truth of the world? Um, there's the... Uh, Magic duo, Penn and Teller. Anybody ever watch Penn and Teller? They're pretty good. They're entertaining. Even though one of them never talks, he's fascinatingly entertaining. I even love the show they do where they, they're basically trying to get other musicians, magicians to fool them. It's called Fool Us, and you try to fool Penn and Teller. They're fun. They are very openly atheist. Very openly atheist. And... um now he shares in one of his videos one day, he's like, you know, people all the time come up to him because he's so outspoken, his athe- atheism, that people come to him and try to witness to him. They'll give him Bibles all the time, and, and uh, he, he rejects them, or not rejects them. He'll, I think he actually always pretty much has civil conversations with people, at least that's it's what's been presented. And one guy comes and he passionately shares what he believes, and, you know, I don't even know which one's which, the bigger guy who actually speaks. Which one is he? Penn. I thought he was Penn. All right. So Penn's, you know, recording a little home video. And he's basically saying, hey, look, I got to respect this guy. He fully believes that the condition that I am in right now means that when I die, I'm going to hell. And based on what he is saying to me, because he cares about me and doesn't want me to die and burn in hell, that I need to receive this message. I don't believe it. It's not true. But what kind of jerk would he be to not share that truth with me if he really believed it? Believers. That's what we believe. That the world is dying and hopeless and dead in their sins. How are we not walking around, no matter what it costs us, telling the world about Jesus? Jesus. Why are we so worried about holding on to our jobs and our 401Ks and not messing that life up and not balancing it out with the other people who are going to die and go to eternity in hell? How can we not balance those two things? And, man, and I'm not saying that lightly. If we lose our jobs for things like this, it's going to be hard and there's going to be consequences. But believers, what do we really believe? Which one is most important? Is God actually sovereign? If we say we believe those things, to not share them is to not love somebody. Is to act in the opposite of love towards them. Are we ready to receive Jesus? Man, this Christmas is the perfect time to be asking this. We have an entire holiday dedicated to, to the incarnate deity, to God leaving heaven to come down as a baby in a manger. The entire holiday is about this. The world is ready to hear it because they're ready to celebrate Christmas. And we become so consumed with commercialism and going to people's houses that we miss the opportunity before us to receive and walk in this truth. We must prepare our hearts to receive Jesus, what does that mean? Man, I had a blast this morning meeting with a handful of guys. At the, we met over at the warehouse, and we had a spiritual retreat. What is that? We got away from the busyness and settled down for a couple of hours and sought after the Lord. We walked by ourselves and spent an hour in silence. And when that hour was over, we came back together, and, and man, what's God talking to you about these days? And we pressed into each other's lives, and... Asked bold questions, and I put people in the spot and made them keep answering. And the reality is that none of us have it figured out. I think that was a summation of all of it for the guys that were there. None of us have it figured out. I think all of us are making some efforts in in receiving Christ. But what I told him was, I don't know if you guys need this today, a spiritual retreat, but I do. And I am using you to make sure it happens for me. Thank you for letting me use you because I know what I need right now is to slow down and be quiet and listen to God. There are a lot of voices speaking to us on a daily basis. And many of us are so consumed by, God, by our phones and by the things that are happening around us that we never slow down enough to listen to what God has. We have to slow down and silence the noise that is coming in. Second, we have to change what we are letting in and take in the word of God. If you want to think and act different, you have to put thoughts in your mind that cause you to act differently. Andrew put up a great link on our Facebook page today. It's the Advent YouTube link, and he's got all kinds of Advent songs, Christmas songs that are pointing us to Christ. It's not Rudolph, and it's not Frosty the Snowman. But it's deep, deep theological truths that will cause us to dwell on the, on the things of God. We have to begin to change what we put in so it will change how we think. If we're going to ready ourselves to receive the word of God, to re- if we're going to ready ourselves to receive God, we have to take in the things of God. Are you ready? If you're ready, what do we do? I want to close with a reading out of 1 Timothy, and it says this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Christ Jesus, which he will display at the proper time. And he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in the unapproachable light. Catch that, who dwells in the unapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The things that we are grasping for typically are not truly life. Let us lay down the pursuit of this world. Get our hearts and minds and bodies ready to receive Jesus right now. Not just for Christmas, but right now during this Christmas season and forevermore. We're going to pray, and John's going to lead us in one last song. God, I need you. I need you to receive you. God, set my mind, set my heart on the things above. Make us ready as a church to receive you. Help us to walk faithfully with each other so that we hold each other's accountable to these truths, these realities that your word, your things, your kingdom is more important than anything else. And let us walk together with that in mind. God, we thank you for your many, many blessings. Amen.